0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Because of Jesus, I am a accepted, adopted, approved, and alive. I am an ambassador for Christ. I am B, be, beloved, blessed, born again, and a bondservant of Jesus. I am C, chosen of God, a child of God, citizen of heaven, and crucified with Christ. I am D, delivered from darkness, dead to sin, and a disciple of Jesus. I am elect, I am forgiven and free, I am God's workmanship, I am an heir through God and hidden in Christ. I am the image of God and forever in Christ. J, I am justified by faith. K, I am kept for Jesus and known by God. L, I am the light of the world and loved by the Father. M, I am more than a conqueror and a minister of reconciliation. N, I am a new creation. I am not ashamed. I am not forsaken. I am not condemned. And I am never alone. I am an oak of righteousness. Once was lost, but now I'm found. I am a priest of the Most High, and I am pleasing to God. I am qualified by the Father. I am redeemed, righteous, rescued, ransomed, and reconciled. S, I am a saint and the salt of the earth. T, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I am transformed by the renewing of my mind. U, I am under grace and united with Christ. V, I am victorious through Christ and vindicated by God. I am a witness of God's power, a worshiper of Jesus, and washed by the Spirit. I am an ex-enemy of God, I am yoked with Christ, and I am zealous for good works and for the glory of God. That's who I am, and that's who you are in Him.
1: Will you believe that? That's the answer. I think, uh, man, what an awesome thing to be able to uh, worship and then see folks make this declaration of faith. Aren't you glad to be here this morning and see those things? I want us to uh, turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're doing a special focus this morning. Uh, And I actually want to invite you to just a a little bit of a family chat. From time to time, if you're a regular Salem hider, we have these moments that... uh, we call a family chat where we just have a discussion about some things that are going on and about where we are headed. And this morning, I would like to talk to you a little bit about what we as a leadership team feel God has laid on our hearts for us to be about as a church, in particular over the next five years. Uh, My uh, discussion this morning that I want to have with you is really guided by two things. In the first... Uh, is this thought. You you should not forsake tomorrow by living in fear today. Amen? Amen. Should not forsake tomorrow by living in fear today. I I just found something out this week that has absolutely been humbling. We've been in a a tough season. I haven't kept you updated. Um, But this Friday, I had a meeting with my doctor and oncologist. And as many of you know, Um, Over this last five years, uh, I've been battling two different kinds of cancer, and uh, colon cancer was stage four, and uh, on Friday, after some CT scans, uh, the doctor declared uh, to me uh, that right now, and they're always nervous to say anything positive, okay, but they consider me cancer-free. Yeah. Yeah. She was nervous to tell me that because she said, I want to show you a chart, and she laid out in front of me uh, what my, the possibility of me making it four and five years. Six percent of people with my diagnosis make it till to today. Six out of a hundred. And it's on a widespread study, uh, that's a well-known statistic, um, and those are the gracious numbers. I really have no right to stand in front of you today. I have no right to be here. Uh, other than I believe that the good hand of God, through his people's prayers, uh, allowed me to be here this morning. Um, But also, I'm deeply committed to not waste it. If we live in fear of what might be tomorrow, we will waste an opportunity today to be what God has called us to be. A second thought that's been in my mind, by the way, tomorrow is just... uh, I saw this great definition for it, a a noun. That's a mythical place, tomorrow is, where 99% of human productivity, motivation, and achievement is stored, right? (laughs) You're going to do it tomorrow? I'm saying do it today. You may not have tomorrow. A second thing that has guided my thinking as we look at this passage is that you steer where you stare. I heard somebody share that, and it has been in my mind. Uh, This guy was trying to learn how to go um, mountain biking, and uh, he had had a near miss on his first run down the hill. He was with an instructor, and the second time, he he just could not keep his eyes away from this boulder that was in the center of the trail. Now, there's a clear trail on either side around it, but he went straight into the boulder, dislocates his shoulder, wrecks his bike, (laughs) complete mess, And he's like, man, what is going on? How is it that I can't avoid a boulder that's right in front of me? And the guy says, well, it's because you're so worried about the boulder, you're staring at the boulder, and you end up steering where you stare. You went where you were looking. Don't look at the boulder, look at where it is that you're supposed to be going. Can I tell you, that's good advice for the Christian life. The world is a mess right now. And some of us are staring at the mess and steering our verbal conversations we are steering our life toward all of the other chaos that is going on because we can't not look at the crash that's going on in our world we're so worried about it and we're so busy anger liking people who think like us we're not busy living for christ the world needs to see christians not staring at the mess and not worried about the problems but actively sharing the gospel and being a picture of what Christ would look like if he were walking in this world. He would meet that mess with grace and activity, not just words. We gotta not steer the, to the mess. We gotta steer and stare at Christ. We gotta put our focus on him. So we're gonna talk about that briefly this morning. 2 Timothy chapter two, verses one through seven. And I am going to ask you this morning to consider your walk. There is something I want you to take away from this. We're going to give you a thumbnail sketch about where we're headed. I am not going to give you the details. Detail people will be frustrated by this. We will pick at the details and unpack some of this through the course of this summer. I want you to hear the big picture and then consider, in particular this morning, who am I going to be in this season, Okay. 2 Timothy chapter two, let's read these verses together. Let's stand and read them. Paul, speaking to Timothy here, says this. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to get his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Do you believe that he meant for you to meditate on these verses? He did. You may be seated. I just want to make a couple of observations about this, and then I want to apply it specifically to our situation and our direction as a church. First, I want you to notice in here, I just want to pick our way through this passage, that it says, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. First thing I want you to see here is that faithful ministers or ministries collectively must live up to what they already have been given in Christ. Now, don't jump past that. It says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ. This is actually uh, a present passive imperative. That means he is saying this as a command. He is demanding something of Timothy, but he is demanding that Timothy allow something to happen through him. This is not about Timothy's strength. When you think about where we need to go and what we need to be about and all the things that Christians should be doing, it is not about your strength or your ability or your energy or what you have to do to stir other people up. It is an imperative, God says. Allow God's grace that's already in you to work its way out of you. Is the grace of God that's already in you being given adequate, opportunity to flow into the people around you? Do you treat people as graciously as God would have you treat them? Do you speak to them with the passion that comes from the Spirit of God saying they need to hear this truth? But is there a kindness and a grace? He says imperative, Timothy, be strong in something that is already inside of you. You don't have to have a special class. You don't need to add anything to it. There is already inside you, the moment that you're saved, these folks that got baptized can right now go out and declare to the world there's a Savior who has an answer for sin, and I'm with him. Aren't you glad about that? They're making that declaration. Right now, already inside of them, as part of the family of God, there is the Spirit of God wanting to work out this grace and impact a world that is hurting. Faithful ministries must live up to what they've already been given. Second thing I want you to notice here, verse two, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Faithful ministers, faithful ministries have a plan for growth and succession. Now this is a preaching opportunity for another time, but in this passage right here, he tells Timothy to consider what he's been given, to confirm that through the many witnesses, then to commit that to faithful men, and then to continue. There is a pattern right here that he wants to stir up inside of Timothy. Paul, through the rest of this book, shares names like Titus, Onesiphorus, Priscilla, Aquila, Luke, Mark, Tychicus, and Timothy himself. Paul has been using a pattern with other individuals whereby he looks at somebody, sees that they are hungry for the Lord, he gives them everything that he can out of the scriptures, invests in them, and then walks with them as they begin to apply it in life, and they begin to show others. He said, I've given you a plan so that it's not just me. He's saying, Paul, the apostle, they all can't just have me. I have invested some things in you. Now you invest in other people. That is the pattern of the church. Man, this is super important, folks. Do you know that you all do not need me? Some chuckle. Some are like, I've always known that. (laughs) Yeah, this isn't a mystery. Tell me something I don't know this morning, pastor. You don't need me. But you also don't need whatever guru you have attached yourself to. You need Christ, and you need to grow by sharing your faith. Do you know how much you will grow if you just actively go out and begin to share your faith? You'll consider, does it look like I am living up to what I say I believe? You'll consider, am I taking people to places where God would have them walk? You'll consider, am I doing the kinds of things that would proclaim Jesus if I didn't know other people were watching? This succession plan sharpens the people. A a third thing that I see in here, and that is that faithful ministers, faithful ministries have an ethic. Look what it says here. Share in the sufferings as a good soldier of Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled. Also, verse 5, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get his share of the crops. Hardworking here. Three different things. You have uh, an avoidance of entanglement competing according to the rules, and working hard. This is the ethic of a believer. Paul is the master of mixed metaphors, okay? So he walks his way through as if you're tracking with him the whole time. Uh, He starts at the very beginning with a soldier, then goes to an athlete, then goes to a farmer. But he's trying to get you to wrap your mind around the entire thing, and that is there is effort that is involved here, and you need to be sharp in your focus, we sometimes hear the loud bang and the crash that's going on in the world, and we begin to take our eyes off the prize. All of the noise makes us nervous. He says, make sure that you're avoiding the entanglement. It is easy to get caught up in if only things would go back to the way they were, right? Have you heard that from anyone? Have you heard that from somebody you were looking at in the mirror? If only they would go back. Why do we say that? It's comfortable there. I knew the patterns there. I knew what to expect there. It felt safe there. The entanglement of everyday life is I'm just scrambling to get back to where I was. Then I'll start serving Jesus. Well, I'm going to tell you something, folks. If this is really part of birth pains, it's possible there may be no getting back there. There is only what is new and next. The only comfort you will find is if you really find your comfort in Christ, you got to chase him. Final thing I want you to see in here is that faithful ministers, faithful ministries have a goal. That is to please their commander, to win the prize. But get this, it's also to enjoy the journey. He says you don't get entangled in the concerns of civilian life. Why? Because he seeks to please the commanding officer. Our commanding officer is Christ. It's not me. It's not somebody else. We're going to lay out some goals for you. But the only thing that we want is all of uh, these goals are in subjection to the commander. We believe that what we're about to ask you to participate in is gonna help us as a church fulfill the great commandment and fulfill the expectations of our commander. Win the prize. Someday we're gonna be with Christ. There is a crown of glory. There are things that you receive as a believer for being faithful here. Salvation's not one of them. You're not saved by works. But there's a joy right now that is waiting in heaven for many who have served him faithfully. And God says, I've got something for you. And it says, enjoy the journey. Look at this. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get his share of the crops. God's not saying, I just have a pie in the sky by and by for you. Do you know that it's actually enjoyable to be with other believers as you are serving the king today? Do you know that? that part of the joy is being with other people who think not just like you, but think like the Lord. They treat other people as God would have them be treated. It is an enjoyable journey, and he says, you ought to have the first fruits of the crops, your share, you're going to participate in stuff that has eternal value, but on the journey, there's also many things that we can enjoy, and I believe that it's actually an expectation that we would enjoy the journey. Despite the mess. You you know, half the fun in camping is telling the story about how you lived at the end, right? (laughs) Nobody actually enjoys camping. But you get to tell these hearty stories about how you guys were able to make a fire in zero degrees, right? Or like Luke on Tatooine, you cut open your elk and stayed inside to be warm. We have ridiculous stories that we tell. We don't actually enjoy that, but the joy in the journey is in telling the story. We have amazing stories sitting right here in this room. Right here in this room, we have amazing stories and amazing fellowship and things that have been accomplished, you ought to enjoy it. So those are the four things I see in here. Now I want you to hear something. Once again, this is family chat time. We have a goal. In five years from today, from uh, January, Uh, At the beginning, Salem Heights will be celebrating their 75th anniversary, all right? Five years. We're going to celebrate all year long. We have a lot of things that uh, we would love to see accomplished. We'll see what the Lord allows, but we have a couple of specific things that we would like to do. In five years, instead of receiving gifts as a church, we would like to give our community three gifts. Five years away. Three gifts that we want to give our community, and we want these gifts to be housed in and radiating out of one location. Those three gifts, one, counseling near them, near the community, and free. Right now, Oregon is still last when it comes to mental health care. There is a great sense, if you have uh, gone through any mental distress recently, and even if uh, they thought that there could be a potential of physical harm, quite often what you hear is we'll put you on a waiting list for three or six months, all right? Now, they're concerned for you. I believe that the desire is real. But what if we could be a part of training churches throughout the valley to actually have Informed counseling, biblical counseling, that is informed what they needed and get them into the the doors, that we weren't demanding they would listen to us, but we were showing them that they can listen to him. Counseling near them for free. Now, some of you might be disturbed by that, but I want you to think about this. There was a season where in the United States, people just had in their background some Christian understanding. They'd been to a church. They'd been part of a church culture coming out of the the 40s and 50s. It was quite common. Going into the 80s, there was this expectation that you understood the gospel or understood something about Scripture. That's no longer the case. I had somebody uh, begin to talk about their experience getting a flat tire in a foreign country and a mosque was right there near them. He said, uh, I had heard the stories that if I was to go into that place, Uh, They probably would treat me like family, he said. But because of my background, because of even some of my own um, thinking, I did not think that the mosque was going to be the place where I'd find safety. I was looking for a Starbucks or a McDonald's in a foreign country, and I thought I could go there to get help. I'll walk an extra mile for help. Think about whether or not that would be you. Do you know that in our culture, They think about a church that's sitting on a corner, on average, in our culture, like you may be thinking about a mosque. Now, I believe if you were to go into a mosque, regardless of what they believe, that if they were going to commit to help you, they'd treat you like family. We have a Savior that has an answer for the world. And the world, when they actually look at us, they do not see safety They do not see care. They see what the enemy has painted over the top of churches with. They see fear and concern, and they'll keep walking to Starbucks rather than coming in here. How do we reach a world that is fearful that Christians are only against them? How do you reach them? You know how? When they are broken and in need, you minister to them with no cost. You bless them and help them get to the next stage for free no expectations. It's the point of the spear, I believe, for the next generation in sharing the gospel. Second thing, real answers. A second gift I'd like to give the community is real answers for homelessness and addiction. I'll make a couple more comments on that, but I want you to take a look at our society right now. Homelessness has not been fixed by our efforts. Are you aware of that? It hasn't been. In fact, I would say that on the culture as a large, this is a looming concern, a major problem. But when they start shouting that they've had victory because they've allotted a few dollars to something, some program that is unseen and unheard and is not actually meeting the needs of the folks on the street. Folks, we're looking some way to politicize this when these are real people hurting in real situations. God loves them. There are people that are filled right now with problems because of addiction. Only 10% of those are coming off the streets in most excellent way. The majority, and you know this in the room, folks, are successful in their addictions. They're still holding a job, they're still keeping families, but they're being devastated By the things that they're participating in. It is impacting their marriages, their families, their businesses, their role in society. It's destroying them. And they're afraid of becoming the identified patient. What if we could help those people find not only health but community? Scripture declares this is something that God can remedy. Remedy that he'll go from calling you an alcoholic or a drug addict to a saint. Do you know that? He writes a letter and starts it with, to the saints at Corinth. Have you read what they did in Corinth? He didn't say to the continuing addicts in Corinth. He says to the saints. We have a real answer for homelessness and addiction and it's Jesus and I think there is a path to get them to hold his hand. Third, Support and encouragement for local ministries, church plants, and pastors. What if we could see God do something awesome here and at no cost we could give whatever help we could to the people around? To churches. What if other churches benefited from anything that we could give to them? What if it was money? What if it was aid? What if it was encouragement to a pastor that is broken? What if it was being able not just to give them strategy tips from a distance and overwhelm them, but actually help them in their place so that churches in the valley would rise? What if a hundred churches around us were all healthy, focused on the word, their pastors were encouraged, and their congregations had a sense of mission? What would that be like? And, and what if all of those people were not referencing Salem Heights? They were only looking at Jesus Christ. What if they never said our names? That should be our ethic. That has been our ethic. But whatever we would give, let them not give our name, but look at Christ. But if we can be a part of causing other people to thrive, how awesome would it be when people say, Oh, you're in Oregon? In the state capital, you're in the Willamette Valley, that place is filled with Christians. Is that what they say now? Not CNN or Fox, folks, say that, all right? <laughs> they don't say that when they think of our valley, but may it be. These goals will stir up questions. Uh, I really believe that they'll stir up some good ones. There will be some concerns and valid ones. We're not just wooden-headedly moving into this. This is a result of prayer and deep concern. These goals will stir up fears. I just want you for a moment though to think about it in this way. What if you happened upon a bus crash? What if you happened upon a scene where there was some kind of concern that is going on? Would it be ethical for you to go by? Would it be ethical for you to take a look at that bus crash or that group of people that were in desperate need of help and say in your heart, man, I don't know. You you know, I could get sued if I put a, a splint on that. What if you were to find a gunshot victim In order to help that gunshot victim, do you think it would be ethical or it would be right to say, you know what, before I help you, before we we even deal with this gunshot, I need to talk to you about the kind of people you hang out with. (laughs) Is that ethical? Do you know that for some of these problems, that's what we do? We moralize, we hammer, we attack, we say, do you know why you're here? And they're just like, man, I got a hole in my chest. (laughs) Why don't we help them with that? Would it be appropriate, as a first responder, to say, I cannot handle these things, but I can get to the EMT and get you help? Yes, but just walking by folks is not an ethic I wanna be a part of. We got a hurting world, they're radiating pain. The world is like a, a giant bus crash. And we're just there to be able to identify who can we help, how can we get them to safety, how can we get them away from further harm? How can we identify the ones that are in real need of help and get them to people who can help them? But what if we can be a part of the solution rather than just moralizing from the edge? I think God's calling us as a church to do that. To do that with no strings attached. Not to do it and advertise. Not to do it and put it on a, a bumper sticker. Not to do it and do anything other than say, Jesus, we, are serving you and then let whatever happens happen. But what if we could do these three things for our community? We'd be a blessing. I believe that this goal will stir up faith and I believe it will require a commitment. We're out of time, I I want you to hear these two things. This is the call this morning. In order for us to fulfill these things in five years to be able to give our community those three gifts, We're not starting with an ask when it comes to finances. We're not starting with telling you how we're going to mobilize you. I want you to just investigate your own personal heart. Today, you will walk away, and we have an expectation that you will say, before the Lord, you'll make a commitment. You'll investigate your own life and say, Lord, am I living up to what you've called me to be? The first thing I want you to hear is that we need to be something before we build something, okay? We need to be something before we build something. Pastor James Augustine was talking about walking in a path with his friends, and uh, his friend's son was running ahead. They were trying to get to this beautiful place uh, at the end of a hike. They were excited to go on the hike, and the kid kept running ahead and running ahead. He knew where they were headed uh, in his mind, but he had no idea how to get there. He kept running ahead, running ahead. He kept saying, this way, Daddy. He said, no, 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 go over this direction. And then, this way, Daddy, no, no, go this direction. This way, Daddy, no, no, stop running down there. You're going to get lost. Go over here. And eventually he said, son, stop. I need you to hold my hand. We'll go there together. Do you know that's what I think the Father is telling us most times? Well, sometimes we try to run ahead and ask God to bless whatever we just did, right? Right? But God has a destination intended for us, and he's saying, will you hold my hand and get there? I'm asking you this morning to grab the Father's hands. In order to succeed in this, the first thing you'll have to do is go through some personal evaluation. Now, I read an article by a guy named Joseph Matei. It it, uh, drilled into my heart, so I'm just gonna dump it in your lap and let it sizzle. Ask seven questions this week. What if everyone was as committed to church attendance as I am? Would the world see filled churches? Two, what if everyone gave the same percent to church as I do? Would anything be funded? By the way, just notice we don't pass a plate. We don't ask for money. This is between you and the Lord. I'm not going to ask you how you follow through with this. You've got to hunt for our giving boxes, okay? Okay. Give only if God pushes you, but this is an important thing for a Christian to ask. What if everyone served as much as I do? Would anyone be blessed? What if everyone was as committed to prayer as I am? Would those things that require prayer in order to have success, would any of those things happen? And by the way, most things require prayer. Anything in the church that's useful requires prayer. What if everyone studied the Bible like I do? Would the knowledge of the word rise? What if everyone shared their faith like I do? Would anybody hear the gospel shared with grace? What if everyone was as committed to discipleship as I am? Would anybody have somebody walking with them? as they work out their salvation personal evaluation i'm not going to ask you for your responses i am going to ask you to walk through those questions and where you feel it hang up where you feel that you can't check the box and say i think i get it right here you got to get on your knees and say lord will you help me be something before we build something but secondly we need to shine before we share Before we join another effort, before we do anything, we need to be what God called us to be. Now, this is what I want you to understand. I said this at the beginning, and I believe that it is true. You don't need me. You don't need a guru. You don't need a program in order to be what Christ asked you to be. You don't need a program. You don't need me holding your hand. You don't need somebody else to provide the opportunity. You, the moment that you got saved or added to the kingdom, you were given spiritual gifts, you are already a blessing waiting to happen. In fact, the scripture tells us that with the word of God in our hands, we have everything inside us that we, ha- we need for life and godliness. Do you know that? You have everything that you need already. So why is it you're not shining in your area? That's what you have to ask. If you go through those seven questions and you're struggling with that, you're gonna to have to ask a personal question. Is Whose fault is it? We're a culture that blames other people. Is it the church's fault? They didn't tell me how to do this? Somebody didn't walk me forward? Let me just let you hear one thing. I'm gonna put this up next to the microphone. I want you to hear this. In order for you to shine, there's one thing that has to happen. Something in you has to break and yield to the Spirit of God, amen? The Lord, yeah. The Lord has already enabled you to shine in a world that is dark and broken. And, Salem Heights, this is what I'm asking you to do. Over this next six months, we're just going to work on what we're supposed to be before we talk about what it is I believe God is leading us to build. But we need to shine before we show anything to the world. We need to be something before we build. And I'm asking you. To consider that, not before me, but before Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to consider these things. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able uh, to talk about a risen Savior that has transformed lives, that has called us into activity, that is, um, Father, that is changing us so that we can be useful in the mess. We pray that you would help us, Father, to shine whatever inside us needs to break so that you will be on active display. We pray that you'd break it, you'd transform us, and you'd cause us to be a church that blesses others with no strings attached. Help us to act like your children, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.